1: Opinion
2: Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Good morning and welcome to and a very happy International Women's Day on the Opinion Line. 1850 996 the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96FM dot IE. Some very inspirational Cork women to hear from during the morning, including the Cork woman celebrating International Women's Day for the first time in her life at the age of 48. That's all to come. Also talking to one of the most talented musicians to come out of Cork in many a long day, And to a scientist shaking the world, a Cork-based scientist literally shaking the world of environmental science. That is all to come. Also, we will be talking about that interview. Now, we'll probably talk more about it tomorrow because it's tonight it goes out on RTE and on, I think, UTV. UTV at 8 o'clock. RTE around half past nine but we will be talking about it uh, during the course of the morning because what it certainly is doing is it has raised more than a few eyebrows.
3: We have never heard anything like this in any previous royal interview. The things that Harry and Meghan have said the picture they have painted of an institution of personal family members is dynamite. They have effectively said that family members are racist, that You know, Meghan was told she couldn't leave the house and go out for lunch, that she didn't leave the house for for more than twice in four months, that members of the royal family and staff members ignored her when she said she was suicidal. These are hugely disturbing claims, and Buckingham Palace will need to be very methodical in responding.
2: That's Roya Nicker, the royal correspondent of the Sunday Times, speaking on television this morning about that interview which went out overnight in the States huge uh, stuff in that. We'll listen to a few clips from it and get your reaction during the morning. And I guess we will talk more about it tomorrow because tonight it's on RTE and uh, UTV. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Plenty more besides as we celebrate International Women's Day on a number of different levels. But we finished on Friday. We heard Friday morning. We heard an appeal from the Lord Mayor. We heard a plea an impassioned plea from Katrina Toomey, we had previously heard an appeal from the Corp Business Association to people not to go into town on Saturday to attend the Rally for Truth, as they called itself. Now, in the end, a few hundred went in. I couldn't honestly guess the actual size of the crowd. But a few hundred went in. I didn't. I saw pictures and I saw videos and our news correspondent Fiona Corcoran went to see it and to meet some of those involved.
4: On behalf of the organising committee I am asked to speak to you and welcome you all today. To be clear about it, this is a peaceful, lawful, public assembly. We're exercising our right to free expression on what is the major issue of concern to Irish people today. Our right to be here is the most fundamental of human rights. If we yield this right, we may as well put chains on ourselves and accept the conditions of slavery. Yeah,
5: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: Shame on our Taoiseach, Government Ministers and the City Lord Mayor and others who have dismissed these fundamental rights, shame on them. We know there is widely differing opinions in regards to the holding of this rally today. In full respect of those who are of that opposed opinion, and in the interest of public safety, we have asked, it's a bit late maybe, we have asked that people should observe appropriate distance and look after their health, and welcome anybody who wishes to wear a mask. That is their entitlement and right to do so.
6: It's a peaceful gathering. Nobody wants any hassle. Just to come out and say what you feel, you know? They have to respect me too, that I'm not for this anymore. I used to, I used to really, I used to be scared of COVID, but I know nothing adds Your up head the lies, there's loads of lies and tell the truth because a lot of things didn't add up to me as time went on like rugby is going on and they're all hugging each other and they're in a scrum as well as that there's a load of people and they're I mean, say, look, the factories, the meat factories, all the people come in from Brazil. If it was that bad, why do they leave them in? You know what I mean? I don't think it's a pandemic anyway. Certainly not. you to
7: the families of those who lost people of
6: COVID. I think it's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. But do these lockdowns... Stay forever, which I'd say next year we're going to be in them again.
8: My mother works in the healthcare sector, she has done for 40 years and she's never been as disgusted for the for-profit model that we have occurring at this moment. We have lost all semblance of care for our working class people. There's no compassion, there's no empathy. People are struggling. There are bodies being pulled out of rivers that have not been reported upon in any way fairly in the mainstream media whatsoever. We are turning and vilifying each other on people. We are turning it into a left versus right argument. It is nothing to do with that. It is authoritarianism versus freedom. I have no political affiliation with any single party here. I am here on my own because it is an utter disgrace.
7: What would you like to see done by the government then? What way would you like to see them handling this?
8: Open up. Open up the country. Let people have a choice. We say we're protecting the elderly. We never gave them a choice. We never asked them that they want to stay locked down. We never asked them. We just respected. We let them die on their own. Everyone who dies now has spent the last year of their lives completely on their own. My granny, I just saw her today. She's basically aged by about five or six years within the last year. It's an utter disgrace. I march from my 27-year-old brother,
9: Tom who died from cancer and who we buried this day last year. If he was alive, he would be here marching before me. I marched for my aunt, who died in the hospice three weeks later, but was not allowed to see her two sisters because of unnecessary lockdown. I marched for my mother, who just after burying her second son, was never again allowed to see her dying sister because of unnecessary lockdown. I march for all the people who have died lonely from all causes since lockdown started and who were never given a proper funeral. I march for their families too who have not been allowed to grieve properly. I march for my 94-year-old granduncle who has his church closed and his purpose of living taken away from him because of unnecessary lockdown. I march for all the old people who have had their purpose of living taken from them in their final years, the old people who have been imprisoned in their own lonely homes and who have been told it's for your own good, the old people who are not allowed to make their own decisions, I march for them. I march for the young families locked up in their city apartments or townhouses now with nearly a year, those little children with nowhere to go and no one to see because of unnecessary lockdown. I march for the small businesses and their owners who have been brought to the brink of bankruptcy, many of whom will fail through no fault of their own because of unnecessary lockdowns. I march for all the people who have lost their jobs, many who don't even know yet because of unnecessary lockdown. I march for the thousands struggling with their own mental health but who have nobody to turn to because of unnecessary lockdown. I march for my lovely next-door neighbour who I helped pull out of the river only a few weeks ago. My lovely neighbour who lost hope and could not see the point of living anymore. I march for her and all the people who have committed suicide. I march for those poor souls and their families too.
10: I was uh, trying to finish up my PhD and I felt really socially isolated re- mentally drained two kilometre restrictions walking around the block it was just extremely unstimulating I play a lot of sport you weren't allowed to play sport you were training by yourself like, it was just really mentally draining. I, I just do not think the government and EFISH are taking that into, into consideration at all. I think there's a better alternative. First of all, I think there's a major issue with the PCR testing. I think one solution would be to introduce rapid antigen testing. I think, yes, combination of vaccines and naturally acquired immunity. And I also think there's, a, there's um, another drug as well, ivermectin. and that's deliberately just not being implemented in Ireland. Because I, I think it's just due to political corruption. Last year, it was fine for a few weeks to be locked down. 12 months later, what actually has changed? Nothing has changed. I think just the collateral damage at this stage, how it's affecting like other illnesses, mental illnesses, other say screenings, etc. You just cannot continue to ignore that and it's just it's not acceptable.
2: A montage from Cork City on Saturday afternoon. If you were to play conspiracy theory bingo there, you'd have had a full house halfway through it. Fiona Corcoran, what what were they like, the people that you met down there? Good morning to you.
7: Yes, good morning, PJ. Um, there was a crowd of about 700 people there. Now, I suppose with crowds like this, it's very hard to tell an exact number. And um, it was very hard to distinguish those who had come in specifically for the rally and those who were already in town and came down to have a look because that whole square area outside Brown Thomas was full. But then across the road, um, outside Dun Stores, there was a lot of people there as well. And a lot of there was a lot of people in their kind of... Um, early 20s 30s age group there was a lot of older people there as well there was some families and um, were a few kids but um just a small number of children there it was mainly that age group between 20 30 40 year olds who were at this um rally and they uh, were very emotional, a lot of them, very fired up when the speeches were on. And, you know, I spoke to some of them. Uh, you heard some of the audio there in the um, in that montage. And, you know, there was a there was a lot of conspiracy theories. There was also a lot of people who were genuinely upset about the length that the lockdown is going on here and they believe that we shouldn't be in the lockdown anymore and that it's not doing people's mental health any good and they believe that we need to get the country up and running again and there was talk that ireland is the longest um lockdown in europe and questioning that there was a lot of anger towards the government there's a lot of um theories there that the government are telling us lies and that they're hiding the truth there was also a lot of anger towards the mainstream media um the one of the speakers diarmu O'Kyla said that in this country we need proper journalists to ask the right questions and to find out the truth that people really need to know um so yeah i mean it was more a kind of um you know, very very emotional crowd. Very um, when the speeches were on, people were very fired up. But it was a peaceful demonstration, and the organisers did insist from the very start that it would be a peaceful demonstration, mm. and it was. We, you know, there was a lot of concern I think in the city before this event because of the scenes that we had seen in Dublin the previous weekend, and. Even before it started, a lot of businesses in that area had closed their doors, and done Stores even put up boards um, mm. around all of the, the front of that store along the windows there. And um, we didn't have any of that, which was good. Um, but it was it was a kind of a strange sensation being there, PJ, because you know we haven't had um, anything like that. We haven't had a big event like that mm. in the city or anywhere. Um, Were you confronted in over a year.
2: about our coverage, Fiona?
7: Yeah, I was. <laughs> um, a few people came up to me and said that, you know, they hoped that I reported the truth. And um, they said that 96 96F- FM, one woman in particular was a bit close for comfort. And she said that 96 uh, FM, um, you know, have not been reporting the truth all along um, and that were, you know, in the same vein as RTE. And that she hoped that I get the right message out there and the truthful message out there I was accused of uh, fake news by several people. Um, and, yeah, um, I was I was interviewing one person and somebody else came along and said that the only thing I was interested in was the non-wearing of masks and that's the only piece that I would use. Um, so, yeah, there was quite a lot of anger towards the, the media and I wasn't the only journalist there who was confronted. I know several of my colleagues were the same boat. But not, not everybody was like that. Um, you know, I did have one woman standing beside me who pointed out that my bag was open. <laughs> so, you know... Mm. Um, there, but there were there was a lot of anger towards the media, um, and during the speeches, um, the crowd. One of the speakers, it was Dermot O'Keeley, I think, said that um, you know RTE um, in particular, and a lot of the mainstream media have been just broadcasting uh, what we're being told by the. Um, the, the politicians and we're not actually questioning them properly, and that mm. um, we're, we're giving out these figures every night, and it's scaremongering. And um, the the uh, Diarmuid O'Kella, who um, is of the People's Convention, said that they did a study themselves based on figures they obtained from RIP.ie, and they found that the death rate in Ireland last year wasn't um, in excess of any other years. So um, they said questions needed to be asked around that. So yeah it was it, it lasted for about an hour. The crowd built up fairly quickly um I got in there at one o'clock and it was very quiet at that time and Then the crowd started building from around twenty two two um but, uh, but by the time the speeches and everything were over, it was uh, just before three o'clock, and um, everybody had kind of more or less dispersed. Did at they that disperse stage.
2: quickly? They did.
7: They did. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. And okay. um, now there were a lot of Garda around as well. Um, there was um, uh, around 200 Garda had been deployed in a policing operation for this event, and that included uh, members of the local division, of the national division, and there was a Garda helicopter circling overhead for the entire duration of the event Um, there were Garda checkpoints on routes coming into the city and there were also Garda checkpoints um, in different counties and I know that two people were arrested in County Kildare who were um, on their way down to Cork and had told Gardaí that they were coming to the event and they were arrested and have subsequently appeared before court and there was also another man uh, arrested in Kerry a similar Incident, and there were um, a person arrested in the county of Cork as well, and uh, there was two people arrested in the city centre. But one was for failing to comply with a guard the direction, and one was for a public order offence. And apart from that, though, um, it was yeah, went off peacefully enough. Okay,
2: thanks for that, Fiona. I know we've got a special report coming from you later in the morning with regard to International Women's Day. So have a good International Women's Day, Fiona take care, thank you eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six That was great coverage of the rally. I always wondered what goes through these people 's minds they're bleeding from the heart says a call. And John, in playing the montage there, PJ said you could play conspiracy theory, listening to the contributors. I didn't hear any conspiracy theories there. Can you list out what made you say that? Well, they're throwing up this PCR nonsense, which you can dismiss with a, a good read. Like the, there was one gun out there that the the inventor of the PCR test said it would never be useful for COVID-19. He died before COVID-19 was ever even heard of so that's one that's blown out of the water and I'm sorry but ivermectin yes there may be some bit of truth in some link between it and symptom I, it's it's very tenuous the thing about it is some of the people shouting about ivermectin they'd rather take an animal drug than a vaccine do you know what I mean was away for the weekend, looked like there was no trouble So the people at PJ said were coming to make trouble Didn't get here Or maybe the four of them were arrested at roadblocks in Kerry and Kildare Scaremongering of the highest order last Friday It's like listening to RTU Well Bobby, if we happened to prevent that trouble By talking about it in the way we did Then I'm damn proud that we did Damn proud that we did Because I don't want anything happening in the city That forces down Stores to board up their windows and if don't if, if, if stores boarded up their windows because they thought something might happen and, and we helped to allay that fear by basically making, it, uh, making them feel unwelcome, anyone who would do that, then I'm damn, I'm damn proud we did. I'm damn proud we did. 1850 Ah, 996 Speaking of real science... Uh, And not fake science. We will be talking after the news at 10 to Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, uh, who will be talking to me about the vaccine rollout and the problems with it and where they go from here. Listening over the weekend to Paul Reid of the HSE on various interviews and they're talking about the rollout of the vaccine. I'm sorry, but it's starting to sound a bit like the dog ate me homework that, oh, it, that we're not getting the deliveries, we're not getting the stuff Come. It's a bit, it is really starting to sound a bit like the dog get me homework at this stage. Uh, it's, it's too slow. It's really, really slow. And it really needs to, to ramp up because, for the start, they're making fools of us up on the other side of the border. They're 40% of their adult population vaccinated. We're still piddling around the 5 or 6%, even if that. And north of the border, even Arlene Foster was saying yesterday, that maybe they'd give us the spare vaccines. Like, that's pitiful. That Arlene Foster is actually taking pity of it, on us and would give us a few f- spare vaccines if we're short. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Frank says, "Dear O'Kyla also thanked the Gardee for their attendance and assistance. That was appreciated." Yes, to be fair to Dear O'Kyla, he did do that. He did do that. He did thank the Gardee for attending, and probably because there was a large Gardee. Presence, and we know from our own context that Gardi were preparing for trouble if trouble should happen. They were there in the numbers to expect trouble. There was no trouble, and it's great that there was no trouble. Absolutely great that there was no trouble. 1850 Still shouldn't have happened though. Still illegal though. The opinion line
11: on Cordz
2: 96FM.
12: With Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota Hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See Lehan Motors.ie
11: Listen and win all day Friday on Cork's 96FM with Douglas Court Shopping Centre to celebrate the amazing mums in our lives. We've got 100-euro Douglas Court Shopping vouchers to give away across the day. Make your Mother's Day with a special treat from us. Listen to win a 100-euro Douglas Court Shopping voucher this Friday across the day only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show the opinion line with pj coogan call
12: us now 1850
11: 715 996 on courts
2: 96 fm by the way as we mark international women's day i also want your involvement in the program this morning i want you to tell me what woman inspires you and why? And look, it could be someone we all know, it could be an international name, it could be Greta Thunberg it could be Hillary Clinton, it could be anybody it could be Oprah Winfrey, it could be Meghan Markle, it could be your mammy, it could be your cousin Betty it could be anybody, is there a woman who inspires you is it your best friend, your cousin, your sister who inspires you and 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 drives you on and is important in your life, really important in your life. Is there a woman who inspires you? And on this International Women's Day, tell me who they are and why. Text or WhatsApp, 83 96 96. We'll read out some of the best ones. 83 96 96. Caller says, if it was illegal, why did it take place? There were enough guards there, in all fairness, to gather evidence and take action. Even if they felt it prudent not to intervene on the spot, They would surely have done so yesterday to discourage further events. I don't know why it was allowed to take place, because it shouldn't have under Level 5 restrictions. It absolutely should not have taken place under Level 5 restrictions. Uh, 1947 Health Act and all that. Michael says... 80% of your show is COVID-related. The same experts week in, week out. I find myself having to turn it off at times. Well, Michael, I'm sorry about that because that's another COVID misstatement. That's another bit of fake COVID. We're nowhere near 80%. Nowhere near 80%. Even on a massive morning in COVID news, we'd never be even 50. But there you go. John said PJ Coogan was just talking about the PCT test and said the man who invented it died before COVID-19 came. Yeah, he was right. Yes, he died in August 2019. However, he did say it was not designed to be used as a diagnostic test at all. And he can easily be found on video saying that. Can you correct yourself? No, John, I'm not going to correct myself because what that is, is a video clip being misused. It is not a diagnostic test. It tests for the presence of the COVID-19 virus. It's not a diagnostic test. It tests for the presence of something. There you go. It never is being, it's not, never been billed as a diagnostic test. It tests for the presence of the COVID-19 vaccine. So, again, that's a miss. I, what I really don't like about this stuff is people misquoting stuff, half quoting stuff, quoting the back arse end of a statement without quoting the full statement. It's It's an old trick in trying to divert thought. But that's not true either. It is never; be, it has never been built as a diagnostic test. It's a test to locate the presence of COVID nineteen. Frank from the north side, Jimmer Kyle. yeah, thanks to that 1850-715-996. one five nine nine six. Let's look at this uh, interview last night. Meghan Markle and Harry and Oprah Winfrey. There was a few things came out of it, and like I say, we'll likely go into it in a lot more detail tomorrow when people have had a, a better chance to see the interview. Uh, which is on? I think it's on ITV tonight at eight o'clock, and it is on uh, RTE at nine o'clock. As far as I can, uh, as far as I can make it out, yeah, it's nine o'clock, nine o'clock on RTE, and it's eight o'clock on UTV. It runs for about about two hours, I think, in total, including uh, commercial breaks. The first hour or so is just Megan on her own, and then he joins for the second part. I don't know why they did that. Why they had an interview with her first, and then the two of them together. Why they weren't both there. A couple of things have come up. First of all was this story, and I don't think we'd need to spend too long trying to figure out, trying to guess who it was, who asked the question about Archie's skin colour. That came up. One of the first headlines to jump out was this.
5: In those months when I was pregnant, all around this same time, so we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security. He's not going to be given a title. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who who is having that conversation with you? So um, there is a conversation. Hold up. Hold up. There's several. Right conver- now. There are several conversations. There's a conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. Okay.
13: So
2: she says that they mentioned the skin color, but then she won't name and shame. So she goes halfway there, but not the full way. I don't think we'd need... Think too long and hard. Anyway, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The other one was when the subject of suicide came up, and and her mental health. There's a few different clips. This this is when her concerns for mental health came into the conversation.
5: I would sit up at night, and I was just like, I don't understand how all of this is being churned out. And again, I wasn't seeing it, but it's almost worse when you feel it through the expression of my mom or my friends or them calling me crying, just like, Meg, they're not protecting you. And I realized that it was all happening just because I was breathing. And look, I was really ashamed to say it at the time and ashamed to have to admit it to Harry, especially, because I know how much loss he suffered. Mm-hmm. But I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it. And I, I, just didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. And that was a very clear and real and frightening constant thought.
2: There was a couple of other clips involving both of them and I will play them a little bit later on. It's the big talking point across all of the newspapers this morning, across a lot of the early morning talk shows in the UK, and certainly what happens now from Buckingham Palace is a big talking point. What what are they going to say in response to this? There was a very interesting thing that arose, and I thought that Oprah Winfrey left out a very salient question. It emerged that they actually didn't get married that day in 2016 or whenever it was, in that big lavish ceremony that cost all that money, they they didn't get married that day. They actually had gotten married three days previously uh, in their own back garden with the Archbishop of Canterbury performing the ceremony. Now, having been told that, Oprah Winfrey then missed the glaringly obvious follow-on question, which was why? Why did that happen? I thought that was fascinating. Why did that happen? Anne on email says, is it fair on Harry, uh, all this drama? I thought they wanted to get away from the media and the limelight. Yeah, for a couple who actually wanted to get away from the limelight and have their privacy. They have an awful funny way of showing it, haven't they? Your thoughts, if you want, give me them, on 1850 To celebrate International Women's Day 2021, we've spoken to a number of inspirational women based in Cork. Uh, the first of them is scientist, activist, and the founder of Change by Degrees. She's been on the programme many times. I've been speaking with Dr Tara Shine. Tara, thank you for joining us on International Women's Day. An inspirational woman based in Cork. Not originally from Cork, I think.
14: No, no. uh, From Kilkenny. Very important fact. So proud of both being from Kilkenny and living in Kinsale.
2: When did you first become interested, I guess, first in science and then the environment and everything connected? Or did they all come together?
14: Uh, no. So I think when I was growing up, I imagined that if you were a scientist, uh, first of all, I would have thought probably that you were in a man wearing a white coat in a lab. And that didn't attract me at all. Um, but I, from a very young age, I was really interested in the natural world and what was around me and how the world worked. So what really brought me to science was my interest in how the natural world functions, you know, what was the, how did we fit in as human beings? I was really interested in... Wildlife in my in my you know younger days as a teenager I was really interested in animal rights and this kind of thing. So and then I got really interested in the in the environment that was back in the eighties the real early days of talking about things like recycling. Um, climate change was only emerging at the time. So um, for me it was that interest in how the world worked that led me to science rather than growing up thinking I want to be a scientist if you know what I mean.
2: What was it that nudged you down the environmental route because you're right back then back then it was an unusual interest to have.
14: Yeah in fact it was so unusual that I had to go to Northern Ireland to to university to find a degree in environmental science Um, and so I knew that I was interested in biology and geography um, and at the time the, the kind of the The known courses around Ireland um, didn't really appeal to me. Um, But as soon as I found environmental science in the University of Ulster in Coleraine, it was immediately what I wanted to do. And I mean, I was unwavering. I turned down a place in Trinity. I could have done medicine. I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to do environmental science. Why that? Why? Because in, in most sciences, you have to choose a discipline and go down that one discipline. Um, and it's quite narrow. Whereas what I love about environmental science was it, it was about how every system worked. So how were the rocks related to the water, related to the ocean, and how was all that related to cities and how we farmed and produced food, and what, what did how did policy and international law have a bearing on all of that? So I love the holistic nature of it because that's kind of the way I think. Um, and so yeah, that's really what drew me to environmental science. So it's a great science for people who are interested in kind of the bigger picture around how the earth works and then how human systems um, operate on that earth.
2: So there you are with your degree from Col mm-hmm. Rain Environmental Science and, and obviously wanting to get into the field about which you were so passionate. Did being a woman go against you or did you find it a bigger challenge?
14: To be honest, I haven't found it to be a challenge. Um, and when when I have to think and I, I guess I broke a lot of rules along the way. Like one of my first um jobs was was working in Mauritania in a completely Islamic country um where every other woman basically apart from me and a few other foreigners had to wear a veil and, and have their head covered and typically didn't drive and didn't run around in trousers and you know, ride horses and all that, the kind of things that I did when I was in Mauritania. Um, but I but I got away with it. I was uh, at that time, it, the, the culture there was very accepting of me and my and my difference. And as long as I was culturally respectful in terms of learning to speak their language and wanting to be part of their community and uh, working alongside and, and equally with my colleagues in Mauritania to, to solve problems, which is what I was doing, then I was accepted. So even in that situation where I think it could have been quite hard to be a young single White woman in an Islamic culture. Um, I somehow managed to to get along fine. So I haven't I haven't felt it, I guess um, in any kind of confrontational way. But when I do look back, I see all the the kind of the biases that are in the system. So like when I told you first, I wouldn't have thought of being of being, being a scientist because to me a scientist was a man in a white coat. That's in some ways that's still those biases are still there when we. Um, when we ask children to draw uh, a doctor, a firefighter, um, an engineer, still all too often they're going to think that those are male roles, and that unconscious bias really holds girls back. So, do, do you know,
2: even girls still think that, Tara?
14: Yes, quite often. So girls, um, so I I have a great document here in front of me, PJ. It's um, a gender fact sheet put together by Homer Bound, which is this global leadership program for women in science that I'm part of. And it has 28 top facts around gender inequality in the sciences. And um, girls still believe that they, they, they hold themselves to higher standards in subjects like maths and science, where boys typically excel. And that means that girls A, are less likely to go for those type of subjects or those types of careers. But they also have much higher expectations of themselves and they're harder on themselves. So they may not, you know, they may not stick the course with that subject. It does not mean they have any less capability. They have no less capability.
2: And, and what causes them to put that pressure on themselves? I, and I'm thinking in terms of little girls, seven, eight and nine years old. What in the modern world in which we now live, What is causing them to put that pressure on themselves?
14: Well, it's it's societal. Society still tells us that men are more capable than than women. You know, a study done by Yale University um, in response to CVs that had come in in response to a job application where the name of the person applying was was blanked out. Um, The CVs that described men were always um, weighted as more capable than the CVs that came from women. It's so pervasive in our society that, you know, men are seen to be more competent. Women are more emotional. um, Yeah, you know, this is why, uh, you know,
2: I think one look at Jacinda Ardern would blow that right out of the water.
14: Yeah. So we need more Jacindas. So imagine I in all my growing up, Ireland has um, hasn't had a, a female Taoiseach. Okay. in all my in all my growing up. Imagine how different that is for girls growing up now in New Zealand to see that the leader of their country can be a woman. Yeah, um, We've at least had, you know, Mary Robertson and, and Mary McAleese as, as female presidents, and I think that changed a lot for, for us as young women growing up to see that that was possible. Um, but you need, you need to see that it's possible. You need to know that it's possible. It's really hard when you're the only uh, woman studying you know mechanical engineering or chemical engineering and all your and all your colleagues are are men, so it, it's, it people need to see that role model. it's so much easier to be what you can see.
2: Yeah, you wrote a piece about that at the Irish Times a, a year or two ago, you called it that or you said you you can't be what you can't see is what well, is that what you mean there
14: so i think except, I think sometimes you can be what you can't see, but it that depends that you have to be a very particular type of person for that. It's much easier to be what you can see. So it's much easier to dream and think that you would be an engineer or even to think to put that on your application form, you know, your CAO form or whatever, if you've seen female engineers and you've had chances to interact with them and see what they do. So, it, you know, uh, I recently did the Royal Institution Christmas lecture and one of the guests was um, Inas Abu Hamid and she is a female engineer leading on all the innovation in the area of hydrogen power. And again, she is exceptional in her field as a female working on this very innovative um, uh, side of engineering. But because she's there and she's visible doing this and young girls can see her speaking about her role as a scientist um, and her role in innovating for a better future for us all to live in and innovating for better transport. It's much easier for them to think that, oh, that's something I could do. Um, it's hard to imagine being something or doing something that you have no role models in.
2: Here's a strange question. Has the pandemic, do you think, brought strong women of science more into the limelight? Because I'm thinking of some great people like Professor Eva McLeisett, those kind of people, who have come to the fore with fantastic knowledge and a brilliant ability to share it. It's mm. been an opportunity.
14: Yeah, for some, I guess. Um, so Eva's is a fantastic communicator. Um, and and has practiced this art of of visibility and communicating that we all need to practice in order to succeed. So that's a, a key thing that holds many women back. But overall, I'd say it's a pretty mixed bag. Some women have had so many more caring obligations because their um, their their kids are at home. They may be responsible for an elderly or vulnerable uh, parent. Yet they're also trying to do their work. Um, so some women are turning down opportunities to be visible. I know in the last few, couple of months where I've been really busy and I have my kids to homeschool, that there are lots of opportunities to speak of things that I've turned down because they've been in that time of the evening when I finally emerge out of my office and I need to give my kids some of my time. You know, so I also think it can be both ways because everything is online, it can give you more opportunity to engage, but because we have so many different responsibilities to juggle at the moment and you can't get any help with them, um, it can also lead you to turn down opportunities.
2: Who were your female role models when you were growing up, Tara?
14: I honestly didn't have any. I I don't know. this, this, this um, Yeah, or, or they weren't typical anyway. I think my role models were were very close to home. I think they were my mum and and my granny and the women that I was immediately surrounded by. I didn't have a, um, you know, a sort of a, a high profile role uh, you know someone that I looked up to our role model Um maybe there weren't that many of them you know in terms of women who would who would they have been I so I, I would say I'm much more inspired by the, the the women that I've worked with closely throughout life and I'd say that even in in later years it was so it's some of the women I've you know it's the indigenous women I've worked with in Africa it's the uh the women that I've worked with and shared roles with in, you know, in jobs and things like that, the the, the the women fellow mothers of kids in my school. I think those are greater role models to me, perhaps easier for me to relate to because they share the same reality.
2: If you look at someone like like Mary Robinson and, and her influence mm-hmm. worldwide in terms of, of climate change, something she said in, in her book was that women change behavior, that they are the solution to climate change. Why do you think that is?
14: So, I, first of all, I have to declare that I worked with Mary as eight years as her advisor on climate justice. So we've had endless conversations about these types of things. So um, one thing is that, you know, the education of women and girls is in the top three solutions to climate change. Um, and that's because, uh, A, you can't solve an issue as big and challenging as climate change and not have half the people at the table. Um, but it's also because if we equip women with this with um, the knowledge and skills and reproductive rights so they can decide what size their family is so they can get a job so they can go to school so they can be economically independent and um, all of these things help to bring more more women uh, power and women innovation to solving a crisis like the climate crisis and um, and then i think there is women in terms of women's leadership we're more legacy-minded we tend to turn we tend to take a longer-term view We tend to be pretty good at collaboration. Um, And so just as you spoke of Jacinda Ardern, I think we need um, women who lead with really strong human values, like the value that that is at the basis of Jacinda Ardern's government policy is kindness, Mm. um, but who are also good at bringing people with them and who are not afraid to share power, but they they will share power, recognising they don't lose power by sharing power. And that the more that they... Um, collaborate with people um, and have a collaborative form of leadership that the more they can achieve. Whereas a lot of the leadership styles that we've seen demonstrated in the world to date have been men seeking power over others. Um, and that system has possibly got us to where we are today.
2: You mentioned earlier on about you know not ha- having been a female Taoiseach in, in your lifetime. Uh, mm-hmm. I think your daughter has said that she she wants to be president, not of Ireland, but of the whole world. Now now that's ambition if if ever if ever I heard it.
14: I know well I love that. Isn't that good? You know, we were walking on the beach in Garethstown and we were having this chat about about this, about presidents and one thing or another and um and Lauren said, But wouldn't it be great to be more than the president of a country? Like couldn't couldn't I be the president of the world? And um and I don't know what the equivalent to the president of the world is, but maybe, you know, UN Secretary General, and we haven't had a female UN Secretary General yet either. Um, but this is, this. I want our young girls to grow up knowing that they they can lead, that they don't have to be harder on themselves. They don't have to hold themselves to higher standards than than boys. You know, it, it, it's even things like getting people to apply for jobs. Many women self-select themselves out of jobs because they only um, meet three out of four of the criteria, yet a man will still apply for the job if he meets two of the criteria and he'll have the confidence to do that. So in some ways, we, we have to really build these confidence and leadership skills in our young girls from a very, very young age so that they know that they can they can be whatever they want to be. They can hold the highest leadership positions because right now in the world, only 10% of senior leaders are women. So that means wherever you live in the world, when you're looking around at the mo- most of the people, you know, taking news headlines featured in the newspapers, leading a country, leading a business, they are still all, in every country, predominantly men.
2: Here's a slightly controversial aspect to that. Do you think that women sometimes hold women back, consciously or otherwise? Are you your own worst enemy sometimes? (laughs)
14: No, I think society's our worst enemy. Um, you know, you probably heard about this whole, um, this kind of sense that um, women who women who lead and who succeed hold other women back. And that has been absolutely um, researched and found to be untrue. Um, but at the same time, women sometimes that are successful are seen to be less likeable. Um, so we're, we're uh, especially if it's a masculine type of a job, and... Um, And women get less recognition for their work than men and quite often they're set up to take riskier leadership roles than men so if there's a a leadership role and it's maybe not well funded or perhaps uh not likely to succeed women are more likely to be given those positions but then in some cases they're being set up to fail so i don't think we are our own worst enemies but i do think we need to uh, work men and women together particularly in in the interest of our young people to make sure that the world that they grow up in gives them equal opportunity and obviously we have to expand that between men and women to people of of all genders of fluid genders um people who are figuring out who they are everybody needs an equal opportunity and that requires behavioral change it requires changes in perception and um and we need to get there quite quickly so that you know uh, those girls growing up now have the maximum opportunity.
2: Tara, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you today.
14: Thank you so much, PJ, for having me on and happy International Women's Day.
2: And the same to you. Thank you. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM 1850 The number to call The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 Email Opinion at 96 at m.ie If you missed anything In our first hour This Monday morning Then you can get it on the podcast Which goes live In the middle of the afternoon We pop it up there on Twitter That's the first place you get the link And then it's distributed To all the various platforms Including the Corks 96FM app where you'll find it in the podcasts section early to mid afternoon is when you get it and it is a freebie no charge lots and lots of your nominations coming in for inspirational women and I will read through them as we mark uh, International Women's Day this 8th of March uh, the, the woman who inspires you above others, and it could be something as simple as your mom, or some somebody like Greta Thunberg, or goodness, it, it could be a musician, could be a politician, could be Jacinda Ardern, could be anybody at all, or your sister, or your cousin, or your auntie, or the lady next door, could be anybody. Uh, 083 396 96 96, text to WhatsApp. Who is the woman that inspires you, and why? To celebrate International Women's Day, of which we shall return in a while. But I want to catch up with the government um, with regard to the rollout of the vaccines, because it's coming on for three weeks ago now. And he was with me again briefly on Friday, where you recall that Wyon Stansfield from Pinocchio Toys Downtown rang me, quite quite annoyed. His elderly parents, I think, Dad is ninety-one, Mom is eighty-six they had been called for their vaccine and called and given an appointment and booked in and all of that only to discover at the very last minute that there was no vaccine and the appointment had been cancelled. Now, they've gotten their vaccines, they got them on Thursday and my aunt told me Friday, all is well. But by the end of that programme, we'd had a couple of other calls and a couple of other messages to say, come here, that happened to me too. And it has snowballed over the last couple of weeks. To, to the point where it became national news last week, the slowness of the rollout and the fact that some surgeries weren't getting their allocation of vaccine. One surgery up the west of Ireland got its vaccine and got no needles. And it, it would appear to be, it would appear to be a mess. Also, we have targets not being met uh, in terms of the numbers of people being vaccinated every week. And as we look to the north where they now have the bones of 40% of their adult population in the north has had at least one dose, and we're down here, we haven't yet hit 10%. So what is going wrong, and is there any prospect of it coming right in the short term? Let's bring in the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, Cork TD. Michael McGrath. Deputy, good morning. Uh, Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Very good. Thank you. And thank you for taking our call. No problem. What is wrong with the rollout, Minister? It's very slow.
15: Well, in in general terms, it it is being given out as quickly as it's arriving into the country. I mean, as of this day last week, we had received a total of 520,000 doses of the three different types of vaccine. And uh, on Saturday, uh, two days ago, as you know, we had a half a million that had been administered. So what the HSC are telling us is that within a week of vaccines arriving into Ireland, 99.6% of them have been administered. So in overall terms, like the constraint here, the limiting factor is supply internationally. Uh, There have been issues with AstraZeneca supplies and there have been, unfortunately, reliability issues there that are well documented. There were three occasions in the last uh, short number of weeks where, uh, at, at short notice, uh, the supply schedule was not um, kept, was not honoured, and those changes have a big impact because, of course, that vaccine at the moment is not being administered to elderly people, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, in line with the advice, so they have to change the plans. So th- th- that's the reason why the uh, 100,000 target lab Last week for people vaccinated um, uh, fell short in reality. It was about uh, 81,000 uh, and this week the forecast is for 84,000 but separate to that then there were operational issues and you've touched on them there uh, with uh, a number of GP practices uh, not getting the vaccines exactly when they were told they would get them and in some cases not getting the, the consumables, the syringes and so on um, exactly when they should have got them. I know it was in a relatively small number of cases uh, and the HSE have put in place measures now to address that. Uh, They have new relationship managers identified to liaise with the GP practices. Mm -hmm. They've given a commitment that they will have a longer notice period in advance uh, to let them know when exactly the vaccines uh, are due to arrive and they've put in in place um, improved communications. Mm -hmm. So like it was a small minority of cases but you know quite rightly everyone has to be held accountable when things don't go right and the vast majority of cases went right, there were some issues um, but they will be fixed. But fine, but here's the thing it's not like anyone got a phone call at Minister
2: at the end of December and said oh by the way we have just found a vaccine, we knew this was coming we knew there'd be a vaccination programme, we knew it would have to be rolled out like when did the preparations start because it sounds like it's being made up as you go along sometimes
15: I can assure you and the listeners, it's not. The preparations have been underway for for many months, and I mean, I'm sure you've been listening to Paul Reed and Dr. Colum Henry and, and Professor Brian McCran in the last week or so, like just explaining. The, the really complex logistics involved. It is the largest and more uh, and most complex vaccination program uh, in the history of the state. The uh, mRNA vaccines, uh, the Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech, um, are challenging um, because of the storage requirements and the requirements to to administer them very quickly once uh, once they're separated into uh, the different vials and so on. So it is complex, but I I think that in the context of 1,300 GP practices around the country. Um, there were issues, according to the HSC, with around 60 to 65 of them. You know, it's a relatively small number and mm. they will learn from that and they do need to learn from that because the numbers uh, that will come through are going to increase dramatically and so we have to be ready uh, to handle about a quarter of a million doses per week and uh, you know the I have the, the projections here with me I mean in, in the month of April we should be receiving well over a million doses uh, and we have the mass vaccination centres about 37 around the country, mm. we have the, the GPs up and running, the pharmacists will also get up and running um, and so th- there's a good system and structure in place now to ramp it up mm. and get Quickly yes, as quickly you, you know, I can appreciate, Minister.
2: You looked across the border to the north, where almost forty percent of the adult population has received at least a first dose yeah. of a vaccine, and here we are, just south, you know, on the other side of the border, and we're we're struggling to to make the small targets we have. So, if there's a quarter of a million coming a week, it, it it's very worrying. Can it get out to the regions? Can it get out to the surgeries? Can it get out to the vaccination centres?
15: It will. I mean, in quarter two, so between April, May and June, the current forecast is that we'll uh, receive between 3.8 and 3.9 million doses. Now, that is depending on the the manufacturers, you know, meeting the the dose supply um, commitments in in relation to the north. I mean, they have done things differently. The UK approved the vaccines uh, before the EU member states. They did so through their own domestic uh, regulatory authorities uh, Ireland and the other EU member states uh, waited for the European Medicines Agency uh, to approve the vaccine. So that means we, we were starting later uh, and then we all purchased uh, our vaccines through um, a, a coordinated uh, purchase agreement done mm. at European Union level. Yeah. And like we've ordered over 18 million doses, which will be enough to... Vaccinate uh, over 10 million people, yeah. and as you know, the EMA is looking at the uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine uh, this week, and they uh, hopefully will approve that. And that's a, a one-shot jab. So once yeah, that's and that, what have we ordered of that?
2: Sorry, what is ordered of that for us? Because that is that is the game changer. Like that's that's the one. That's that's. We have. have
15: ordered about 2.2 million doses of that. So that alone will be enough to. Uh, inoculate like a large percentage of the adult population so in quarter two we're expected to receive um, just over 600,000 doses uh, of that one so it is much much easier to administer and uh, and you know it's a very reputable company and if, mm. if it is approved this week it will take a number of weeks before those vaccines start to actually arrive to any European country uh, but there is ongoing contact with the manufacturer there and as soon as they are ready uh, they will be distributed mm. so they are on the way.
2: As you know, Minister, um, less than three miles from, from your hometown of Carigaline, uh is one of the biggest clusters of pharmaceutical companies in, in Europe. Is there some reason why we can't be making these things here, as well as just buying them in?
15: Well, I suppose it is is primarily a question for the companies as to where they manufacture uh, the vaccines. Some of them have outsourced uh, the function to other companies to add to their own capacity, um, but there aren't vaccines being manufactured uh, in Cork uh, or in Ireland. But you know, those- have we have the government uh, said to any of the
2: companies? Look, you know, we actually could could you not make them here? We have factories. We have all the people are in place, could you not come and man- man- manufacture them here? I
15: mean, I, I would imagine that you know, reconfiguring a factory and providing the expertise uh, at an individual plant level, a site level uh, is, is not straightforward. Uh, But there have been conversations. There's ongoing contact at a very senior level. As it happens, the head of Pfizer in Ireland is also called Paul Reid and he is in regular contact, I know, with uh, the Taoiseach and Minister for Health uh, and the government generally. So, like, there are no easy answers when it comes to getting extra supply and I know there's a lot of talk about other other countries and, you know, can we not take spare vaccines? We've availed of every opportunity. Arlene Foster was only saying yesterday
2: that, you know, they they are at they they are proceeding a pace, and in actual fact, if they have excess, they'd be quite happy to give them to those. Wouldn't it be a great thing for the for the border counties in particular, Minister, to be able to get spare Astrazeneca from the north?
15: We will take uh, spare vaccines from wherever we can get them, uh, provided they have been approved uh, by the European Medicines Agency and the vaccines that are uh, currently being uh, administered in the north have been approved but none of those countries you know whether it be um, uh, Britain Northern Ireland um, you know Denmark uh, any of the countries uh, that we have relationships with are not at the point of having spare vaccines that they're offering up mm. now, there were a number of European countries that were not using their supply of astrazeneca vaccines and uh, for a period of time and we're stockpiling them there were reports of about two million doses in germany not being used for example but they now have changed their policies and a number of those countries are now starting to administer astrazeneca uh, to their older population so uh, you know we are asking around um, and we are of course pursuing every opportunity because that's there that you can there appreciate
2: we, we, we are falling we are falling behind to be fair. Like the other thing too, Johnson and Johnson approved in in the states as you know, like we could could we not grant emergency approval ourselves as a nation rather than waiting on the the European Union which seems to have some objection to doing things quickly.
15: Yes, I believe uh, you could do that, but we? I think that that is uh, a more risky strategy. Well, I why? Think it's been approved by the FDA. Um, the... Yeah, but they're not the, the competent authority that we have in Ireland or the European Union. But are they, um, are they, are they, surely they're on a par at least. Um, yeah. Look, you 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 would imagine that uh, that they have very rigorous assessment procedures in place uh, to um, to interrogate vaccines. They were so there, not, in not, fairness, they were there before the European crowd. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not questioning that. But look, it's. It's a rabbit hole that we could go down and never get out of. I think that, you know, we have um, we have been served well overall by uh, entering into the coordinated purchasing agreements. A small country like Ireland uh, may not have been able to uh, secure as much supply of vaccine. We have 18 million doses uh, on the way, enough for 10 million people. Yeah. Uh, we now have, you know, a commitment that nearly 4 million doses will arrive in quarter two. I mean, the main issue is that the supply just isn't there. The are we interested are in the
2: Russian vaccine? Sputnik? The, the, um, the
15: figures from it are good? Yeah, we are interested, uh, provided it's approved by uh, the EMA. And they Well, are, it's going they, to be made in Germany, so presumably they will approve the, it now. Well, they are now looking at it. And Are we guaranteed yet? to get a proportion of everything approved by Europe? Uh, provided we have signed up to it, and we have signed up to uh, essentially all of the the prospective vaccines that are out there, uh, and that's so anything appro- approved by Europe will get a chunk off. Is yeah, that it? We, we we will, uh, we will. And mm. while you know, I hear the criticism that's made uh, of Ireland and, and the pace of the rollout. Within European terms, we are one of the the better performers. So there's a lot of talk in Israel.
2: You see, it doesn't frankly feel that way, Minister. The, the other thing about it is is this, and it's very important. People have been really trying hard to deal with the implications of this lockdown. And, yeah. and and the big promise that they're clinging to, and I, I speak personally, this I, this lockdown, it's been hard on everybody I know. Everybody, family, friends, workmates, it's been really hard. But we're clinging to the, the, the idea that if we hang in there, as they say, hold firm, they will shortly be somewhere I can go, get a needle in my arm and my problems are solved. The faster the better. There's going to be nearly half the adult population in the north vaccinated any day now and here we are trying. when are we all going to be able to say right I'll have my vaccine next week I'll have back. people are crying out for a chance they are. to get a vaccine in their arm and get their lives back
15: Minister yeah. and, and I'm one of them too I completely understand that but I think the really good news here is that the vaccines that have been administered to date have proven to be highly effective and we have had a dramatic fall in case numbers in our nursing homes uh, among our frontline healthcare oh, that's staff, good. That, that's all. That's out. all so, great. That's yeah. marvellous.
2: No. That's, that's marvellous. But the rest of us are still staying at home. The pubs are closed. The businesses yeah. are closed. I, by the way, I'm on no rush. I'm in no rush to open anything unsafely. I want. I, I've pr- promoted on this program every, yeah. every, public safety all the time. But the, the faster we get the vaccines into people's arms, the faster we can get the economy rolling again.
15: I agree. And the two are inextricably linked. There's no doubt about it. But there's a dovetailing there. There
2: is. Because if you look at the numbers now, and here, come to our our own native Cork, Michael, for a second. We're now the best performing county in the country in terms of transmission. Yep. So, like, (laughs) Cork is crying out now for vaccines. People have worked so hard and sacrifice so much to get the numbers down. They want their vaccines. The City Hall is empty. Why is there nothing happening in there?
15: Well, it's a question of supply. I mean, we're putting in place the, the infrastructure and those facilities uh, are going to be needed because we're essentially going to be trebling the number of vaccines uh, that are uh, administered each week. So if you take that it was 81,000 uh, last week, you know, we will be moving towards three times that. We'll be moving towards a quarter of a million a week. And so we're not going to be able to do all of that at the GP clinics. That's why we need uh, the pharmacies on board. We have signed agreements with them in place all of the funding provided we have the 37 uh, mass vac- vaccination centres now in place ready to go so we have put all of the infrastructure and the capacity in place uh, to ensure that the vaccines are administered as soon as they arrive and like that's the, the, the main reassurance that I can give uh, to your listeners PJ is that the government will leave no stone unturned, we have spared no resource in uh, sourcing vaccines from mm. wherever we can we've signed up to every opportunity uh, to get the vaccines uh, and uh, I have assured uh, Stephen Donnelly and Paul Reid of the HSC that whatever they need to do uh, to get them out as quickly as possible uh, as quickly as possible uh, will be done and the resources will be provided to do that so mm-hmm. I know people are impatient and well, we all want to get there uh, as quickly as we can um, but I, I take great heart from the experience to mm-hmm. date they are working mm-hmm. uh, and a lot more of them are coming well, and they're coming fairly quickly now uh, and uh, that's really positive news.
2: Well well, can I invite you here and now to come back on the show in a month's time and we'll talk about where the progress is compared to today. And and maybe we can organize that between us to say your people and my people. T- of course, just before I let you go, Minister, on the subject of quarantine, we hear there in the news at ten o'clock that the, 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 the president has now signed the quarantine into law. But well, yeah. it's still gonna take at least another
1: week?
15: Um, It's almost there. Um, So I was in touch with Minister uh, Donnelly over the weekend and the Department of Health has uh, done a huge amount of work now to get this up and running. It will be among the strictest quarantining regimes uh, in Europe uh, and it will involve hotel quarantining for people coming from uh, a whole list of countries. Uh, It is already a legal requirement that people quarantine uh, in their place of residence uh, when they come into Ireland. Uh, But for those coming from countries that are deemed to be Higher risk, they will be doing so in a state controlled facility. You know, it is um, in normal times that would be seen as an extreme mm. measure. Uh, and You're wary of the warnings coming from Australia
2: that if you don't quarantine everybody, it will fail.
15: Um, I don't believe it will fail. I think that uh, it is a, a proportionate response, and I think the public want to see it. Uh, they do want to see people coming in from uh, most countries now uh, where the, the new variants are. Mm. But it's so prominent. easy to ev-
2: What I mean is, if it's not a blanket quarantine, it's so easy to evade. Because if, if I'm coming from a country where I'll have to quarantine, all I've got to do first is fly into a country where I won't have to quarantine, and I'll come
15: in that way. know it will take account of uh, where people have transited through i mean the issues where your your journey has originated Uh, and, you know, a lot of the people coming back into Ireland now uh, are Irish people returning, um, unfortunately, in some cases from holidays that they shouldn't have been taking, uh, and in other cases people who did have genuinely essential trips that they had to make. Uh, We also have essential workers who have to come in and out of the country on an ongoing basis uh, to keep the supply chains open and to make sure that, you know, goods and medicines and everything that we need for our daily lives uh, continue to flow. Uh, All of this, you know, will have... It
2: doesn't have to stop when you have mandatory quarantine, by the way. Uh,
15: it, it doesn't have to stop, but it, it does just underline the point that you can't close the country's borders and keep everyone out. That's just not realistic uh, if you want the country to continue to function uh, with any uh, level of normality. So there is there's, man- no,
2: no, there's no question of any keeping everybody out. It's essential, non-essential. Non-essential is what you quarantine.
15: Yeah, uh, and that is already in place uh, for people coming into the country. But the difference now is it will be done in hotels that they themselves will be paying for. But it is already a legal requirement uh, for people who come here to do that. And if they don't, uh, they can be prosecuted. Okay,
2: going to leave it there with you for today. Hopefully we can come back in a few weeks, Minister, um, uh, and see what's happening with the vaccine rollout in Cork. Thank you very much. Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, Michael McGrath, 185715996. The usual questions coming in and looked at the insistence of government is we're going to do it through the EU. Why couldn't we buy our own stock like Israel? We're going to the EU. What? Loads of other countries, Singapore, Iceland, all got doses, all much smaller countries... Why can't we buy our own? They don't want to buy our own. They want to get everything in through the EU for reasons best known to themselves. I am a high-risk person who's cocooned all year. I'm still waiting on the flu jab from last year. That ran into short supply, dear Lord. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Andrews in and Blackpool. The powers that be have had months to get this in place. If this was a private company and a so-called ordinary worker failed to deliver in the logistical supply chain for their respective company... You may be sure they'd get their P45. It's amazing. Pre election times, these same so called public reps can get their political PR drivel leaflets into every household in the country. Says Andrew, thank you. 185715996.
11: The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM.
12: With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie.
11: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix
12: weekdays from midday on Corks 96 FM. Whether you're at work, working from home, or just in the car, let me help you race through Monday afternoon. I've got some friends with me as well: Olivia Rodrigo, Pink, Adele. They're all there. See you from midday on Corks 96 FM.
11: This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
12: Text or WhatsApp now O E three 96 On
2: Court's 96 FM I'm working in the airport When will they open fully? What help would the government provide in the meantime? I guess they'll only open fully When we can all travel properly again Which again ties in with vaccines. We're only a small nation. We're surely small enough to have struck a deal with the likes of Israel and Iceland if the right moves had been made. They're so insistent on clinging to the EU model. It would annoy you, actually. Would the minister be amenable to coming in this...
12: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel
5: the warm breeze, relax, and think about...
2: Um, in a month to discuss the success of the programme, yeah, we, we have invited him and we'll deal with him and hopefully, now this day this day one month from now is actually Easter Monday uh, and I will be off the week after Easter for a few days but sure, we can still have it on, doesn't have to be me yeah, I'll be off for a couple of days over Easter, so so we'll see, but that um, a month's time uh, or a month or five or six weeks time, we'll see where it goes because if people aren't getting their vaccines in a month's time, they're going to get very angsty altogether if they're not angsty already. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. We're celebrating International Women's Day. I have lists and lists of, of of inspirational women that people want to mention, and I promise I will get to them. But this story is is a few weeks old, but it's relevant, I guess, for the day that's in it. Uh, I want to talk to Blue Scannell. Blue, good morning to you. Good morning, Blue. You pulled out of the Miss Dublin uh, pageant a a few weeks ago. Why? Yeah,
16: I did. They have a list of rules of eligibility for every girl who wants to apply. And when I was reading them back when I applied last year, I I skimmed over them before I sent my application and something just didn't sit right with me. But you know when you just turn a blind eye and you just go ahead? Mm. And then I'm a student midwife, so I was in the maternity hospital all the time, and I just was like, that rule just doesn't sit right with me. And that rule is that you're not allowed to have ever given birth to a child. Now, oh. me, like, I don't even know how I, like, turned a blind, turned a blind eye to it. Is that specifically
2: then. there in black and white?
16: Yeah, literally, that is the word that it says. It says, shall not have ever given birth to a child. It's not like, cannot be... Like they they say that if you're a mother, you might be too busy with your children to participate, but that's not what they say. They say must have never given birth, which is just ridiculous. Like,
2: mm. I think this used to be an issue in the Rosa Tralee, but they, but they but they dropped it. But it still exists in this particular. And and that now, I, I, you you have no children. I take it.
16: No, I have no children.
2: Yeah. So. Really, it didn't apply to you. So so why did you pull out?
16: So it didn't apply to me, but we all know someone who's had a baby or who has given birth. We all know that every birth don't come out with a baby. Like, people can lose children, which is terrible. And they know this, like, themselves. And they still have the real there, which is just so heartbreaking. But, um being in the hospital and studying to be a student, studying to be a midwife, I just couldn't stay quiet. But my goal was to bring it up to them in hope that they would change it and then I could stay in the competition because it is something that I was enjoying. Yeah. But they just told me to leave if that's how I felt. So I was kind of... And that's all they said
2: to you. You queried it with them, obviously.
16: Yeah, yeah. I was still in the competition and then I just said, I think it'd be great if we could change this because they they enforce that rule because it's something that Miss World enforces however i said in my email like if we were the first country to be like no i'm not okay with this it would be amazing for ireland given our history and everything and they just said now if you feel like that you can't really be in the competition so
1: mm.
16: i have to pack my bags and leave
2: cuz you you look you have to look at a couple of different scenarios other than other than than the obvious you, what about someone who, God forbid, had a stillbirth?
16: Exactly, yeah.
2: Right? Or, th- that rule, someone who's adopted a child could actually yeah. take part.
16: Yeah, because It's very like you're subjecting a woman to, you could say family status, but you could also say like they're the old Irish, like virginal way, like they don't want you to have, like you said, you can adopt a child. Mm. But you can't have had a child. Yeah,
2: yeah. Or if you'd lost a child. Yeah. That also precludes you.
16: Exactly, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. What do you think it says about Ireland 2021 in terms of, of the attitude to women on this International Women's Day, Blue?
16: Oh, I think it is a kick in the teeth to Irish women, all Irish women, not just women with children. We all come from, we all have mothers, we've all came from someone who's had a baby and we look at them and they're being singled out from this huge competition, in Ireland, just because they've had a baby, like come on, it's 2021. Ireland's history hasn't always reflected well with our young Irish women or any Irish woman, and they're still enforcing this rule nowadays. It just mm. breaks my heart.
2: How much of it was influenced by your chosen profession, which is that of a midwife? You know, I, the, how much I, of it was influenced by that?
16: Yeah, like I think I. I think it's a big part was the, was midwifery, like seeing young women and being at their birth and stuff. But then again, if I wasn't the old midwifery, I feel like I'd still say the same. Like, I have a strong mother, I have three older sisters, I'm the youngest of four girls. Like, I think even not being in the course I am in, I would still feel the same way, I'd still be disgusted.
2: Now, it also says you can't have been married. You okay yeah. with that?
16: I just think it's none of their business at the end of the day What choices you have in life It doesn't affect the type of person you are If I chose to get married last year Then I can't compete Mm. Why?
2: It also talks about an age range of 17 to 28
16: Yeah, you can be underage But you can't Like, you know, 17 isn't
2: Yeah, 17 is not an adult
16: Yeah, that's not an adult You can be a child, but you can't have a child (laughs) You can be a child (laughs) You know, yeah. it's ridiculous. And then it says, like, um, must hold a valid Irish passport. I just can't believe they have these stuff ri- written. You know, some things aren't as welcome into some statuses as others, but this is literally written. Well, I suppose so, if you're
2: going to be Miss Ireland, you, you would want to be a citizen, wouldn't you?
16: Yeah, I know, I know. But if you were living here and going to school here and everything, I feel like we would like to be inclusive to everyone. But anyways... The the main thing for myself is just the, the the rule about having a having a birth.
2: And and you're you're satisfied with your decision not to go ahead?
16: Yeah, oh, of course. Even if they said to me like, "It's just that in their reply, they were so cruel. It was kind of like it was nearly a punishment for even bringing it up."
2: Yeah, yeah. They, I they, they issued a statement to to RTE after you'd been on with Joe Duffy. They said, it should be noted that the rules of entry are clearly laid out. We understand that the person in question regarding your query is Blue Scandal, who was aware of all terms of entry when she applied. In other words, yes, yes, signed up for it.
16: Yeah, exactly. And I did sign up for it. And I was also... A 19-year-old girl, like, we can all change our minds at some stage. Mm. Like, I, in my email, I told them the first line. I was like, oh, I've read the rules, but it just hasn't sat right with me, and this is why I'm bringing it up. It was very kind. It was just a query on whether oh, yeah. they would yeah. consider changing it. And they just said, you can leave the competition. If like it or lump it.
2: it kind of thing.
16: Exactly, yeah. And just, mm. it actually did it was her- it was it was just disheartening yeah. at the fact that that's what happens if you even have a
2: question. Yeah. You you, you had been hoping they they would change the rule when you brought it to their attention. Do you yeah. think that maybe next year they might change the rule on reflection to the controversy and then like if they changed the rule would you enter again?
16: Um if it's, I don't know, I feel like I'm just past it. But for other girls, past I think it? You're
2: 19. For,
16: I know, I know. I just blue. I just, come on,
2: girl. You're 19. You'll only be 20. You're exactly. having an old hag like.
1: <laughs> past but, it? Um, you
7: wait. The way the way their
16: excuses is, is Miss World have that have those rules in place. Okay, and if. If Miss Ireland doesn't comply with those rules then they can't go ahead to Miss World. But where I'm coming from is if we why do, why do we as a country want to go ahead to Miss World if that's what they that's their mm. morals? You know, that kind of way. I do. If we still had a big Miss Ireland that was inclusive and positive, it would get more it would get more publicity and more support. True. And we don't have to go to Miss World. Why would you want to go to Miss well, World? Well, isn't
2: that the ultimate prize though? To be Miss Ireland and go to Miss World.
16: Yeah, that is technically, but if it's secluding a huge part of the world's population, why would you want to?
2: It's an interesting conversation that you've started. Thank you very much. Blue Scannel pulled out of the whole Miss Ireland pageant competition because of the rule that says that a woman entering that competition cannot have been, cannot have given birth to a child. You could have adopted a child. Strangely enough, but can't have given birth to one. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
11: The opinion line on Corks 96 FM.
12: With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids, the place to order your 211 Toyota. See LehanMotors.ie. Access all areas on Corks 96FM. Your
11: guide to nightlife on Lee Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on
17: Corks Entertainment. Scouting for Girls have announced a brand new album, Easy Cover, to be released this March, and the band have also revealed they'll be coming to Cork to play Cypress Avenue for a show on November 26 tickets are now on sale from the show from the venue's website cypressavenue.ie access all areas Triskel Cork partnered with the National String Quartet Foundation will be joined in April by two quartets founded in 2020, the Banva and Spiro Quartets. The concerts will be streamed online live on Friday 9th of April and the 16th with the long established Contempo Quartet hitting the screens on Friday the 23rd
11: access all
17: areas feel free to let us know at access all areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at AAA at 96. FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to Nightlife on
12: the Side.
11: On Corks 96 FM. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call
12: us now. 1850-715-996. On
11: Corks
2: 96 FM. So as we celebrate International Women's Day. Happy International Day. I'm inspired by transgender women everywhere. They overcome many challenges to honour their true selves. That's from Sue. Say where you are, Sue. Stay exactly where you are. Don't move. A muscle. The number one for me is my ma'am, Liz, and my sister, Amy. My mum's an absolute lady. Working through COVID as a home help, always putting others before herself and ensuring the kids and grandkids are always looked after. And Amy's a fantastic ma'am sister and friend that's from John Joe Joe Byrne the hairdresser Patricia O'Hanlon is the mom of a child with special needs she's my inspiration Sheila my inspiration is my daughter Aranda gorgeous name the most beautiful human being I know I could write a book on the goodness and kindness of this woman and mother she's my rock happy women's day love ma'am Avril Mansworth Quinn is an inspiration to me and many more in Cove. She has a career support business called Human Reasons, and Avril's a very active volunteer with many different groups in Cove. The main one, Breaking the Silence, a suicide prevention training group. Even though Avril's running a business, has two small children, she's always there to help people in any way she humanly can. Women that inspire. My mother was born in 1921. She worked hard all her life, gave us all sound advice, and was always there for her family. We're awaiting a great knees up for her hundredth this summer. Big garland bejesus. Well done to Mount. Well done to Emmy. A hundred years old this summer. Wow. Uh, Does it go, does it, does a lot go back to when parents buy dolls and other gendered toys for women? Or this is to do with the issues raised by, I think, maybe Tara Shine earlier on. Right. More of your messages about the women that inspire you. Very welcome on 083 396 96 96. I asked Sue to stay put. Because our next special guest for International Women's Day is a woman that I first interviewed last November. A transgender woman who came out last uh, autumn on social media and was kind enough to give us a wonderful interview here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I'm speaking of Dara Jan McGann. Dara, a happy International Women's Day. You're first at the age of 48. I'll come to that in a little while. But, but the last time that we spoke, you had just announced your your transitioning. Uh, you'd come out on Facebook and I asked you to talk to me on the program. We had a great chat about it. How are you doing?
17: I'm doing absolutely fantastically well, PJ. And listen, thank you for the, the wonderful greeting and a happy International Women's Day to all women out there. Um, it's been an adventurous six seven months now um, i'm living almost permanently now in my assigned gender which is female which i've always identified with since i was a child but only had the opportunity to really embrace it uh, fully since the end of august last year when i told my mom and you know it's it's been fantastic I know we've been going through the pandemic and it's had a a terrible effect on so many people, but it has brought a blessing to mom and I, because it means even though she's cocooning, she's able to watch me grow and watch me develop. And it's given me that time to really embrace it all. So it's been really good.
2: So you're living as a woman since, since what, last August?
17: Yes, uh, I have my gender identity certificate.
2: Oh yeah. I want to ask you about that. That came in the post on your birthday.
17: Yes, it did. Um, I, I asked a few friends, what should I do? And I was able to Google it and I was able to go on to uh, different platforms. And um, the, the general registrar's office is the way to go. And I just contacted them. I said, look, this is where I'm at. Uh, they asked me to send on some details. And they sent me back my general identity certificate. And not alone that, they also sent me back my birth certificate that has been uh, amended to female as well.
2: Now, you as an adopted person, familiar anyway with the GRO, how important it is to get a piece of paper like a birth cert and there you are, there I am, I was born, that's who I am. Now to get one that says female, how much did that mean to you, Dara, when you opened the envelope and took it out?
17: Uh, Quite simply, PJ, it made me cry. Uh, because finally, I saw the, the recognition in black and white. You know, it's great for a psychologist to tell you. It's great for your family to accept. It's great to start on the hormone therapy journey. But to see it in black and white on official paper, that's the recognition that I've been wanting. And it, just, it made me cry. And it made a, a very, very happy birthday even
2: happier. I saw you posted on Facebook that you had your certificate that gave us the inspiration to, to get in touch with you for the day because I, I figured that it had meant an awful lot to you.
17: Yeah, it meant an awful lot to me. And we talked there very briefly on the whole adoption. And a lot of stuff has come out in the last few weeks, a lot of stuff for me as well personally. And whilst the birth certificate I have is an adopted person's birth certificate, the fact that it recognizes me as a woman, as a female, it it makes everything worthwhile.
2: So your first official International Women's Day as a woman, how does that feel?
17: It's the stuff that dreams are made of. Um, I've been very fortunate, PJ, as you well know, over the years with my music exploits and that, and I've had the opportunity to perform on some big stages. Nothing will compare to this. To finally be me, finally be free, To live as the real me in this year of 2021, uh, as the person I've always known I was on the inside, now I don't have to hide anymore, I can celebrate it, I can embrace
2: it, it's who I am. Like your music took you to international stages. And I'm not talking about Britain's Got Talent. I, I'm talking about singing the national anthem in Croke Park, which to a singer I know is one of the biggest honours in the country. It took you to America, recording, writing, using that wonderful voice of yours. You're telling me that this day means more. Absolutely.
17: Um, we talk about International Women's Day. I'm thinking very much... This time of year, of my dear friend and your dear friend, Carol Sullivan. Yes, and Carol was my coach uh, during the Shoga Show when I got to perform the national anthem first for the first time at the Dublin St Patrick's Day Parade in 2009. She was a great friend. She was an inspiration. She was a hard taskmaster, uh, but she embodied everything that's great about being a woman. And she took her career to the greatest heights in performance. But when I think of those experiences and I've I've been lucky enough to perform in America and in other places, but nothing can quite compare to the realization that you're now recognized as the person you've always been. You don't have to hide anymore, you don't have to put on a false persona anymore. Not that I did, but now I can just be me and I can bloom and I can grow.
2: And the other you talk about Kara and God we we miss her desperately. The the other inspirational woman in your life, the most inspirational. I'd say your your mentor, your mom. How is she doing? Well my mum
17: is doing great. Um thanks be to God she got her first dose of the vaccine last Tuesday. Um no she had to wait a week because unfortunately the HSE messed up with deliveries, but that's a an argument for another day. Um she's fantastic. She'll be turning eighty seven in August please God. Um she is my mentor uh, she's my matriarch, and she's supporting everything I'm doing. She always did. But now it's with that sense of excitement. And she's had her own health scares in the last few years. But she said to me recently, Dar, you're the reason I keep on living.
2: Oh, isn't that wonderful? Well, you know
17: what? That, when we think about people, that have, or we think ourselves that we have issues or we have problems, we really don't. When somebody can turn around to you and say, you're the reason that I keep on living. That's an honor. That's a privilege. And I, 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 I'm, I'm very grateful for that.
2: Here's a question that you, you might think is a little strange. How does it feel living with mom as her daughter rather than 12 months ago or whenever living as her son? How does it feel, Dara? How, has it changed? Has it influenced your relationship in any way?
17: If anything, PJ, it's brought us closer together, if that's even possible. Um, I suppose mum... I, 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 look, I'm not one for knocking people on the use of pronouns or stuff like that. Mum still looks at me still kind of as her little boy, and that's okay. Look, she adopted me when I was eight weeks old. I'm not going to be rocking the boat. She said to her niece recently, oh, my God, he, he she must be so mad because I keep referring she's on the journey too PJ you know and I mean I accept that I embrace that and I mean we're probably closer together we fight like cats and dogs of course we do Uh, but now we're fighting like two bitches (laughs) and it's so
2: much fun (laughs) that is a, a wonderful place which to leave it my dear friend enjoy your first International Women's Day as a woman enjoy it like you've never enjoyed before
17: well thank you, PJ. And before I go, can I send my heartfelt support and love to a member of your of the ninety six family, El Marie, yeah. who's another wonderful example of inspiration when it comes to women. I know she's going to face another battle, but by God, I know she'll win it. So my, my love and support to her and to her family.
2: Th- thanks very much for that, Dara, and, and have a great day. Thanks, PJ. Take care. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM. 715 the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96 ie. If you missed anything in the first couple of hours this morning, don't forget our podcast becomes available in the afternoon early afternoon we put it on Twitter once we have a link ready and then it'll go to all of your various platforms including the Cork's 96FM phone app and it's free That's ready every afternoon. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, wherever you're listening to us on the podcast, the best way for you to contact us is through that email address, opinion at 96fm.ie. More to do uh, with regards to International Women's Day. We have many, many messages coming in of people that you want mentioned as women who inspire you, and that's absolutely great. And also, if you're a fan of the singer-songwriter Lyra from Cork, magnificent voice, a voice... That reminds me of Kate Bush uh, When Kate Bush came on the scene first That incredible voice that she had I hear Kate Bush in, in Lyra She really blows me away I chatted with her over the weekend for International Women's Day We let you hear that a little bit later But now, you will remember because we talked about it And indeed you will have watched it The documentary last week on RTE investigates into illegal adoptions in Ireland. Now, while there was nothing new in it for those of us who've followed this story for many, many years, and while we all acknowledge that there's plenty more out there to be discovered in terms of illegal adoptions, for people who wouldn't have been familiar with it, it was a real eye-opener and quite shocking. Quite shocking indeed. One of the women... Featured on it is Maggie Norton. Maggie was illegally adopted when she was only three days old, back in 1972. Now everything was fine until she discovered later in life that the adoption had been illegal, and it was from then on the problem started when she tried to find out. I guess, I guess, Maggie, who, who you are? Good morning.
13: Morning, PJ. <coughs> How are you? Thanks for having me on.
2: Delighted to do so. Um, you were you were a classic illegal adoption involving all sorts of odd paperwork. Briefly sum it up for us again.
13: Okay. Well, sure. Look, in I was yes, I was born in the Loud Hospital in nineteen seventy two. Um, on my birth cert, it says that I was born at the address of the doctor's surgery in Carrick and um, It wasn't until I found my mother two and a half years ago that I realized that it had been the, <clears throat> the Loud Hospital and not the doctor's address. Mm. But um, we, myself and my husband, had started looking for my birth parents about 12 years ago now. Or my birth mother, actually, you know, was the person we were looking for. And um, we had no reason to disbelief at the time that my birth cert was as it was, other than the fact that my adopted parents were on my birth cert, mm. which we thought was a bit odd. Um, look, we started the the investigation, we started looking and we came up, and, you know, to a lot of closed doors. We had no help from any of the authorities that you would imagine should be helping me. Um, they just weren't interested. Yeah. You know, I'm now on my third Minister for Children. and um, I've had lots of lip service from the other two. I imagine I'm going to get the same sort of um, attention from this third guy. Mm. But, look, you yeah. know, we did find my birth mother. In fact, we found the whole shebang. Mm. I found my birth mother, my birth dad, And I have two full siblings.
2: Because they had married afterwards.
13: They had married, yeah. Yeah. They got married um, a year after they had me.
2: Now, I've talked over the years at great length on this program about tracing and how people who were legally adopted can trace through public records and birth, marriage and death certificate and and literally build their own family tree with just a small bit of coaching. But for you, where the original paperwork was wrong that wasn't an option for you?
13: No, it wasn't an option. Um, you know, and every every time I went looking, you'd think you had a bit of information and you'd take a step forward and then you'd move on to the next bit and you'd take five or six steps back. Um, the only time that we got an absolute breakthrough was when I did a DNA sample with Ancestry DNA. Yeah. Um, because up to that, you like I said, you would think you were moving on a little bit and then you would get something that would completely contradict the line that you were moving on at the same time. Yes. So when I did the DNA, I was matched with a first cousin that I wasn't familiar with. Insofar as it wasn't from my adopted side.
1: Yes. Yes.
13: And um, I spoke to um, this particular lady um, a couple of times, and you know we'd emailed, and she was happy to give me some information. So from that very day, I went from. Quite possibly anybody being my adopt being my birth mother to four women. Yeah. Yeah. In her family.
2: Whereas that took you years. If you can go into Joyce House or wherever they are these days, oh, yes. you can get your birth cert and you could trace the whole thing in a few hours with a little bit of coaching, which for in in the case of illegal adoption. Now you're you're one of hundreds. I would suggest probably thousands Maggie, and you're also embarking on a documentary project of your own.
13: Yeah, um, in conjunction with uh, Waddell Media, um, we are in the very early development stage of a a documentary about this. Um, Like I said, we did all of this with very little help. There was a couple of women that helped us along the way, and only for them we'd probably be still looking. But... um, and and they were of invaluable help to us because they knew places to look, they knew the next step to take because I suppose too they weren't as emotionally charged as we were. Um yes. so we now feel, you know, having come full circle, that we would like to help somebody else out. Now we are not making any huge promises to anybody, but we certainly want to try to help somebody who has who is it who who is in the shoes that I was four or five years ago. hmm And um, the complete despair, the the you know, recurrent emails saying sorry we can't help you. And yeah. um, we learned a lot of ways to get information. You know, once I had that name, I was able then to go into birth deaths and marriages and yeah. I had my original birth cert, my real birth cert in like twenty minutes. Yeah.
2: That's how easy you know, it is when you have the information. Yeah.
13: It is. And, and it's a terrible struggle to get that information. So we desperately want to help somebody else. We know the pain that that causes. We know, you know, it can affect your health. It can affect your family life. And if we can short circuit that for somebody else, yeah, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to do it in documentary form. Um, you know, we feel that it is a story because it's so, it is harrowing. And RTE did a fantastic job at, at just showing a representation of the people that are out there sitting in our shoes today yeah. who are maybe afraid to come forward, who feel that, you know, that there is nowhere else to turn. Yeah. We who may not even this. know, Maggie. No they, no, they won't. Like, there was a number of those people on the programme last year who only this time last year found out that they were actually adopted.
1: Mm-hmm. Let alone illegal. are now
13: in their 60s. yeah. So we want, you know, we want to tell people that there is other ways, that there is people out there that are willing to help. (laughs) Um, And we would like to help them along.
2: Okay. Now if anybody's interested in being part of it or, or finding out more, there is an email address. It's info at waddellmedia.com. I'll spell that out a little bit later on. You you said that two previous ministers for children had had precious little to offer you and you don't expect much else from Rodrigo Gorman. Why no. is it, Maggie, that you would like from? Because I suppose in terms of all the illegal paperwork that went on and, and all of the, the <sighs> The mess that's out there. What is it that you would like Roderick O'Gorman to do?
13: I would like him to stop hiding behind GTBR. Mm -hmm. It's only an excuse. Yeah. If this was something different, you know, we seem to be able to get legislation pushed through, you know, at almost a moment's notice for other things. Mm -hmm. This is people's lives.
2: What is it you want? What is it that is being blocked by GDPR?
13: Well because people are getting records from Tuslid that are redacted, their own records
2: yes yes. that are com-
13: you know are coming redacted. the whole page is coming redacted that's right, yes you know that is not right. there is nothing right about that, yes, so I want them to send these people to, you know, I would have had no interest in going into birth deaths and marriages and looking for somebody else's birth cert. I was only going in there to look for my own. That is where these records should be made available in birth deaths and marriages for you to go in and look at your own. And it isn't good enough to say, oh, well, we might have the legislation through by the end of this year. That is not good enough. These are people's lives. These mothers who are looking for kids are now in their 70s and 80s. They don't have time. Yeah. Time is not on their side. You know, there is many, many, many mothers out there that are going to die of a broken heart because they have no idea what happened to their children. It was completely taken out of their hands. Now, I challenge anybody to tell me that that's okay. Uh, it's not okay.
2: No, it's not okay. You, in particular, and I, the other night I was watching the documentary, I said, I know that woman's voice. I know that woman's voice. And then I realized I'd seen you on The Late Late Show a number of years ago. I rewatched yes. that interview on The Late Late this morning. And the fact that your mom and dad had married yes. and were desperate to know where you were, there was joy without limits all around, it's not going to work out that way for everybody.
13: No, it isn't. You know, it isn't going, and and that is the one thing that, you know, we're not promising. Like, my big thing when I was looking was, please just let her be alive. Yeah. I would have taken her, like my adoptive mother, in her, you know, last few years, she had Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, and it's not a very nice disease, but but I definitely know that even though she wasn't verbal, she knew who I was. Mm. And I would have taken my mother in any shape or form she came as long as she was alive.
2: Yeah, that's how much it
13: um, Yeah, it, it is how so much. It is. Like, I mean, this is and only people, I think, who are going through this understand the enormity of
2: this. Alright. i leave it there, Maggie. I've no doubt we'll, we'll speak again because I've, I've a hu- as you may or may not know, I have a huge interest in this for many, many years, particularly thank you Maggie Norton, particularly in the illegal side of things because I know so many people who were legally adopted but I also know of people who were illegally adopted, forged paperwork, birth certs that had no real relevance to who they were. So if you're interested in being part of that documentary, it's in the very early planning stages info at Waddell waddellmedia dot mediacom info at waddellmedia.com it's a story we'll follow and a story I promise you we will come back to Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. our messages continue to come in about inspirational women for Women's Day one of them is so good we just had to call the person who sent the message.
11: The opinion line on Corks 96 FM
12: with Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota see lehanmotors.ie.
17: Where is the dorsal on the human body? On your back. The dorsal on the human body has just taken the game to 96,000 euros. Yeah! yeah. 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 Thousand euro in cash. Oh, thanks, <laughs> yes,
11: well hey. done. Two grand gone out the door on the two grand minute. Another
17: winner. There you go. The no,
12: no. two
11: grand minute. Listen to play
17: at seven forty and eight forty
12: every day.
11: Casey and Ross in the morning
12: on Corks ninety six FM.
11: This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
12: us now, 1850-715-996, on
11: Cork's 96FM.
2: Quick reminder to you that Premier League Live back this coming Saturday with uh, Trevor Welsh on 96FM.ie and on the phone app, it's for the Premier League live exclusively online and powered by Talk Sport. Saturday coming Leeds against Chelsea at twelve thirty. Christmas, Chris, Christmas, Crystal Palace versus West Brom at three. Everton against Burnley at half five, and Fulham against Manchester City at eight. It's the Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass and listen Saturday on the Corks ninety six mm app or go to 96fm.ie 1850 715996. Just us back to vaccines. We had a conversation with the Minister for Public Expenditure, uh, Michael McGrath, just after 10 o'clock about the slow nature of the vaccine rollout and I was putting it to him that why can't we do what the likes of Israel are doing in other countries? Just buy it from other suppliers. Just go and get around the EU and just buy it for ourselves. Jared says, we're buying the vaccines through the EU because it's a lot cheaper that way. Economy of scale. Avoid a bidding war with other countries. Look at how the EU as a whole is already competing for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Well, it's a point. It's a point. It's just other countries seem to have no problem just buying it from wherever they can get it. 1850 715 Now, we got a message in. Hi, PJ. Hope all is well with you on this glorious morning. Happy International Women's Day to all the amazing women out there. The woman has been my rock, biggest inspiration, and my wings that carried me when I couldn't walk, that lifted me every time I got knocked down. She's not only my hero, my best friend. My Telma to Louise, my world, is my mum. Sure, who else could be writing that? Only Carol. Hi, Carol.
18: Hi PJ, how are uh, you?
2: How are you? I said to Terry, I said, "Ring her, ring her." I'm not reading out. She'll talk. She'll talk away us all day. Tell me a bit about Noreen.
18: Um. So. So I suppose my mum. Um. Yeah. She. She's amazing. And um, for everybody, probably knows her from social media. She comes everywhere with me, mm. and I sometimes feature her on my Instagram feeds and stuff. But um, like I said, while every um mother is amazing. Um, I suppose mine is extra special because, um, as you know, I was born with a disability and that all kicked off when I was two years of age. And she has been my advocate and by my side when I didn't have that voice to talk out when I was young. So she had she took me to every hospital appointment. She's been there with every for every medical procedure And I suppose everybody knows her because she's always there, even with school and stuff. So um, she's one of the most determined people who pushed me through life and made Mm. me feel that nothing was unaccomplishable. Even when she had trouble to get me into mainstream school, because I suppose sometimes before, like, we're more educated now, but when people initially see, you know, my, my height, they felt that I wasn't, able for Main Street school and you know, my doctor, she said I talked at six months, hence how I talk for Ireland. So, um, yeah. she said there's nothing wrong with her brain and, you know, they the schools apologized to her after for that because she wasn't sending me to an alternative school um, because she knew I was well able for mainstream school. So, I, I feel like, you know, if I could be just a fraction of the woman that she is because Um, I suppose, I I always wondered why she was always so anxious with me when it came to hospitals and procedures, because I was thinking, I'm the one having the procedure, (laughs) what's wrong with her? (laughs) But when she fell down and collapsed, um, she had bowel cancer herself. The roles reversed, because I had all the anxiety and fear of what she had with me all my life, um, because, you know, you're you're worried something is going to happen, and it's you know all that, but um, she, she's amazing. She was going through chemo, and I fell down, and it was time for me to have my double hip replacement. And like the the nurses in the South infirmary said, because you, you're low, you mightn't be able to visit her. But that didn't stop her. She was by my bedside, yeah. and she's always been there. And uh, um, we are like Kelma and Louise. And <laughs> um, um, I get my love of music from her, so we go to many gigs from. The Furies to, you know, Nathan Carter, and um, she loves all that. She's, yeah. you know, she's more of a theatre and dancing person as opposed to, you know, sitting the local in the quiet pub. She loves yeah. the music, so I get my passions well, from her. You, you, know? you
2: certainly, I, I was always taught about you, Carol, and in time I've spoken to you, uh, you know, you didn't lick that determination off the stones, girl.
18: No, No, no,
2: no. <laughs> you did not lick it off the stones and you wanted to pay a special tribute to Noreen today.
18: I did, PJ, because like anyone will say, "Oh, your mother is so quiet, but don't mess with her." or her children. I'd say she's I'd say feisty.
1: Not.
18: I get my feistiness from her, <laughs> you know. And um, now she is a lady, but you just don't mess. You know, you don't do wrong to anyone. Like she, yeah. she believes there's room in the world for everyone, and um, which is a lovely concept. And she reared us with that concept, like so. She's just she she's a warrior, you know, and I get that. I get that kind of right. kick-ass attitude from her, you know. So, as I said to you, if I can be just a quarter of the person that she is, I would have won the lotto here on our side. Like, so, um, she's definitely my role model right. and my biggest inspiration. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't need celebrities when I have our own little celebrity in our Brilliant. house. You
2: know? Carol, it's always great to talk to you. And that's what yeah. I wanted to do. It. Thanks very much.
18: Hi, PJ, you're a legend. Cheers.
2: Cheers that's that's Carol Rice uh, nominating or talking about her mum, Noreen, on this International Women's Day.
11: The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM
12: with Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie
11: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix
12: weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM whether you're at work working from home or just in the car let me help you race through Monday afternoon I've got some friends with me as well Olivia Rodrigo Pink, Adele they're all there see you from midday on Cork's 96FM
11: (laughs) This is Quartz Gold, Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
12: Text or WhatsApp now. 0833
11: On Quartz 96
2: FM. Get your listening gear around this.
1: child <laughs> Just raise your head, And darling, you will be alright Follow your heart to the stars You will find your way Out of the dark, I can hear them calling your name The voice says loud The shouting, can you hear
2: Extraordinary voice, an incredible song. And she is a rising star that was all set to shoot to international fame this time last year, where she was named as one to watch, and then the pandemic had other ideas. Originally from West Cork, grew up in Rochester, now based in London for the last number of years. That is Lyra. We had a little chat over the weekend for International Women's Day. Lyra, joining us from London, where you're based, and it was all about to take off this time last year, and and the pandemic intervened. We might talk about that in in a wee while. But go back to the beginning. When did you first start singing, writing? When did you first realise, hang on, there there might be a career in this?
19: Um, Well, I've always been singing, which is great like I I love it to death my mom's a great singer my sister's a great singer so growing up it just was a thing that I just fell into so singing has always been a part of me but the songwriting and kind of thinking you know what girl go for it I think has only been when I first wrote Emerald was kind of like a real starting point for me which is probably now about like cheapy Mac probably about five years ago now maybe um and that was my first time that I was like, you know what? I can write songs. I can write songs that people really like. When I put it up, I got a great reaction from it. Just put it up to test the waters and see if it was a thing that, you know, was a gore for me. Yeah.
2: To hold something like that in your hand, the the notes, the words, whatever, and then to put it out there and for people to like it. What's that feeling like the first time it happens?
19: Oh, it's it's unbelievable. It's like the best feeling in the world. Like putting it up is the most scariest thing ever you're putting it out to the world and you're like oh god almighty you're you're literally like sitting on your phone your your laptop open your ipad open everything open just to see if people will take this and you know after about a while of it being up and people start liking it and you know commenting on it and giving you all this amazing feedback it's just it's the best feeling in the world I think it's is why I'm basically do music is for is for that you know for people to enjoy it and and getting that connection with them is just amazing.
2: Yeah. I mentioned this time last year when Universal Music, like the biggest record label in the world, was pointing to you. Pointing to Lyra and saying, Here's one to watch in twenty twenty. Now I know <laughs> coronavirus had other ideas. But like but how exciting was that?
19: I mean, I was ready to go. I'd just done my first ever headline tour which was completely sold out I was shocked beyond all getting up on stages to like a packed um I was gonna say a packed hall where do I think I'm singing town hall <laughs> in to packed venues and um oh my god I was like living life I loved it so much and then next minute I got off stage I think Limerick was my last show I was back in London about to start the festival circuit and pandemic, yeah. I was like oh holy Nora it really knocked me, I do have to say like I was so so upset just because I thought oh god have I missed it now like you know as you said everyone's like one to watch and the whole year just slipped me by but I'm ready to come back bigger and better now and when I mean bigger I also mean physically the Covid kilos are upon us <laughs>
2: And then the late, late came, which, of course, that was a big moment in anybody's career. But I suppose mid-pandemic made it made it even bigger. Tell me about that, that setting that up and being and that moment in the late, late show.
19: The late, late show was like, oh, my God, when I got the call to be on it, I was petrified from the time I got asked to the time I got on stage because it's it's our Late Late Show, it's like our biggest show. My mom was gutted, obviously, she couldn't come because of COVID. <laughs> she was yeah. like, the bloody one time I could have been in the audience in the Late Late and I can't go. And I was like, sorry, ma'am, pipe down. But, um, you know, it was surreal being backstage, knowing that I was going to be on the Late Late Show. Like, Ryan was amazing. He came down to me and, like, was chatting to me beforehand just to make sure that I was okay, because obviously he heard through the grapevine that I was petrified. Um, And then when I stepped out into the studio, they'd made such an amazing effort. Like the staging was beautiful. They had put all flowers everywhere because obviously they know that I'm massive at the flowers and I always put flowers on stage when I'm performing. And I got to sing to Ireland and it was like, it was so surreal. And then-
2: But hang on girl, you were planning a tour, an international tour of all the festivals. The late, late show's still bigger.
19: Yeah, I think it's just because you reach so many people through the TV and, like, people who just be sitting down watching it, not for me. So it's kind of like a my opportunity to kind of show them what I'm about – you know, sing my song for them and, and try and win them over to be like, oh, watch, think of this kind of thing. It's a lot scarier than if you're at a festival. You know, the people that are popping into your tent have obviously heard it and like it or have come to see you. So you're in a kind of almost like a safe zone. Um, so I feel like the Late Late was a lot scarier.
2: I suppose you can identify with it on, on one level in that a lot, of, a lot of traditional Late Late viewers, when a music act comes on stage... You know, that's when the kettle's put on a lot of the time. The last thing you want to be is a kettle boiler. But within within 30 seconds, people are going, whoa, where did this spring from?
19: Yeah, it's a it's a different sound, I must say. And as I was saying, like I'm I'm so bloody loud, they definitely hear me when they're popping the kettle on. They could go to the shops and they'd still bloody bloody hear me from the TV. So uh I've no fear of them not uh not hearing anyway. But yeah, I think people were shocked because like you said they don't know me like i was i'm was a very newcomer and um you know i suppose as well the outfit kind of kept people watching cuz it was a bit flamboyant <laughs> it
2: was it was but that was your 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 television arrival moment and god it was a great a great success cuz you went on to sing in the new year i think with rte didn't you
19: i did yeah that was amazing um i sang in the new year which was Oh, that crew were just so amazing. I'm, like, all about the crews. They're just, like, so good. And it was done so beautifully. And uh, I was bloody Baltic in that dress. out Talking the- <laughs> cast, I was like, lads, I'm brazen. Um, but it was an honor.
2: You talk ab- about your mother a lot. And the song, I think, that people identify with you is Mother. yeah. And it's also the song that has had you compared to none other than Kate Bush. But talk to me first about the song.
19: Well, actually, it's so random because uh, it's actually my mother's birthday as well today. So it's a very uh, mother kind of feeling day, I suppose. Um, I wrote the song basically, um, my mom has always been kind of like behind me. And, you know, when I was getting sick about my voice and it being like, too different or like too loud or too brash and stuff like that and I just really take it to heart and she just said to me you know what you have one voice you're you are you and you have to take all this negative comments and you have to turn into something positive and you have to go for it and she said you know those voices will will drown out and you know you'll be triumphant in the end kind of vibe and I was in London and I was really homesick and I just started writing this song about my mom and it so happened to be mother is literally like just sitting at home one day and it came to me. It's like, and I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going for it. I just wrote half an acapella and went into the studio and was like, I have this song idea. And, um, and that was it. And a lot of people do relate it because it's, you know, a lot of people do go through it. It's all about like rising up and rising above, um, Negativity.
2: Your mum is your mentor, I guess, is she?
19: Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, mother is about mam and then Emerald's about my nan. Like, they're two extremely powerful women. You know, I was raised a lot by my nan growing up. Like, we'd go to her house every day after school without fail. And, you know, she was so strong. It was unbelievable, like, the things that that woman would do. Um, and then my mum, obviously, being with me, for my whole career and really helped me with my confidence because, you know, although it might come out in exterior that I'm very confident in myself, you know, obviously I went through a patch where I really wasn't. And um, and she helped me get there and she helped me not be shy of who I am or the way I like to dress or the way my voice sounds. And I've really embraced that. And I think that's what's kind of like brought me to the next level because I have my own style. I have my own look and I have my own sound now um, because of that advice and and I'm here and I don't think I would be here if I, if I didn't have that because I would have just blended into the background. So I'm forever grateful to her.
2: Well, that's one thing you're never going to do. You're never going to blend with, with, with that voice. And as I said there, it has been compared to Kate Bush and listening to Mother. And again, you mentioned Emerald on headphones as someone who can remember, a bit older than you, can remember the arrival of Kate Bush on the scene. And mm. that extraordinary voice. I can tell you on headphones, I can wow. easily see why people would compare you. But who were the influential artists to you, the female artists to you growing up?
19: Um, like if Stevie Nick was one. My mom used to love her voice. I think she's brilliant. Enya was a massive one growing up because... I'm very, I love the cinematic sounds and Enya just does that in bucket loads and obviously all her harmonies and everything in the ethereal feel. The big I feel like, yeah, my first EP, Wilds was massively influenced by her and I feel like that's kind of like the vibe that I was kind of going for. Um, so she's the one. And then I've always taken influence from Dolores because of the whole singing in my accent and at the start, you know, getting told over London not to sing in my accent that I had to start pronouncing my words properly and pronouncing my ths which I don't anyway and and I kind of really took influence from her because she sings in her accent and it really gave me comfort knowing that she was this amazing superstar who sang in her accent so why can't I be?
2: You appeared on Irish Women in Harmony uh, last year a song that we we played to death on 96FM. How important, seeing as Dolores had been such an influence, how big was it for you to be part of that?
19: It was amazing. Like, you know, talking about Women's Day, like there's no better band of women than Irish Women in Harmony. Those ladies are pocket rockets. I love them. They're, oh my God, they're amazing girls. Um, And being a part of it was just so amazing for them to ask me and have, you know, my name in there with them. You know, that Ruth Ann thought that you know, I'd fit it in with the group, which was great. Um, but that was cool to sing Dolores' the song. I was kind of like, I was delighted it was a Dolores song. So I was like, oh, I can wail away on this song now. It's fine. I can let loose, um, which was great. And then being asked to come back to the Late Late on my own to, you know, pay tribute to Dolores. I was like, what's going on here? Like, how have I been invited to Late Late to sing one is Loris's song as a tribute to her on her anniversary. Like, that was unbelievable. Do
2: you pinch yourself sometimes?
19: Yeah. I literally was on the late, late. Like, people were coming up, like, rubbing me because I was shaking. I was so nervous. I was like, I'm singing an iconic Irish woman song who inspired me from a young age. I was like, how am I going to do this? I had to put the, I had to say to I was like, can you put, like, the lyrics on the teleprompter? Can you do, because I was freaking out so much that I was like, I'm going to go blank the second I see the red recording light.
2: Do you battle a lot with nervous, says Lara?
19: Yeah. I'd be a bloody, I'd be a nervous wreck before I go out on any stage. I would be, I'd be downing the rescue remedy like there's no tomorrow.
2: (laughs) And it's funny because once, once you're out there, you exude confidence.
19: Yeah. And, but once I'm out there, it's like a switch flicks and I'm, cool as a cucumber and I'm grand once I get the first note out I'm fine it's like it's like I was born up there I'm fine it's the I suppose the anticipation of going out and doing it makes me terrified and I'm just scared that people won't like it I suppose it's that confidence thing like I'm nervous like oh what if I mess up what if people don't like it what if this what if that what if my arse ha- falls out of my outfit most of the time?
1: <laughs>
2: I think we could probably forget about the, the not liking you bit at this stage, you know. The, the the theme of International Women's Day is about challenges. 2020 brought challenges. You, you overcame them in, in all sorts of different ways. But what did you take from it?
19: Um, I definitely took from it, you know, how do I explain it? Like... You know, we, everything's kind of been stripped away from us. Um, you know, we've all been locked up, um, I suppose. And, um, I think it's just like the little things. I, I just take nothing for granted now, like nothing, like the thought of being able to go to a festival or stuff like that now is like way bigger than it was in say 2019. Like, oh yeah, I'm just off to play this festival, blah, blah, Now it's like, I'm off to play a festival, like, this is amazing. Like, I suppose once it got taken away from me and and now that it's back, I'm just like, okay, you need to take every single opportunity that comes your way now and grab it. And whether that's you going, touring nonstop for a year, then that's what I have to do. Because um, I suppose time, I, is that maybe what I'm trying to say? is like, I don't know. I, I find it really hard because... I find I'm still find it a very confusing time because I'm hoping that I'll be back up on stage, but like I've also been told, don't get your hopes up too much because it could all be taken away, so I still feel very confused about the whole thing.
2: Mm. There's but. even a song in coming through the pandemic, I reckon.
19: Definitely. Um, I actually wrote a song last week at home, um, and it's very much about that. It's very much about, like, you know, holding on to the silver linings, and you know that together that we'll get through it. And it's all about like us all together being like this gang of warriors. And basically, the chorus is is just saying like, you know, we're warriors, we're glorious, and we'll rise above and we'll get through, kind of thing. And um, and it, it genuinely was just inspired by one of those days where I was like, "Are we ever going to get out of this?" And I was like, "You have to stay positive. We are." And I wrote that song. And I love it. It's definitely a festival opener.
2: Are we going to hear it soon?
19: Oh yeah, I was actually sending the producer some notes yesterday, trying to get it together because I have so much music now, I just need to get it out. And I can't wait for you to hear it because I, it's, I know every artist says this, but it is my best material that I've ever written. I sent it to my manager and she was like, I love it. And Caroline has great music ears, So if she loves it, it must be good. <laughs>
2: can't wait to hear it Lyra and when you do get back to Cork and we are allowed to do it I want you to come in and sing live for me would you do that
19: Oh yeah, I love singing live, that's like where I come alive the most, even when people hear the CDs and then they see it live, they're like, it's like two different worlds, so I would love that
2: Well it's a date when it happens, you'll be here singing live in studio when the pandemic allows, it's been a pleasure to talk to you for International Women's Day thank you.
19: You too, thank you so much for having me, I really appreciate that.
2: Quick mention for the Southern Star, congratulations and she's done the show with me more than once over the years, Siobhan Cronin has been appointed the new editor of the Southern Star first year first time in 132 years of the Southern Star that they will have a female editor congratulations on that one and coming as it does on International Women's Day uh, there's one more bit of business we need to do before we go and that is to go back to I mentioned earlier on when when Fiona Corcoran was with me talking about the uh, the rally for truth in town on Saturday we mentioned that she had been meeting some people, some women, uh, around Cork for this particular day that's in it. I'll get to that in just a second. A reminder to you that we will be coming back to the char- uh, the um, Megan and Harry interview tomorrow. Uh, I haven't seen it all. I've just been listening to the trailers, watching the, watching the various clips and reading the various... Coverage of those who have seen it. I look forward to watching it tonight, as I'm sure many of you do. And we'll be looking for your views on it tomorrow afternoon. Just another highlight from it. This is where Oprah asked them, do they think that they blindsided the Queen with their announcement? you remember that at the time? This announcement that seemingly came out of the blue at 9 o'clock at night uh, a couple of years ago. Did they blindside the Queen? Here's
8: what they said. Did you blindside the Queen? No, I've never blindsided my grandmother. I have too much respect for her. Um, So where did that story come from?
5: I hazard a guess that it probably could have come from within the institution. Mm. So I remember yeah. when you, you talked to her several times about this over... Two years. <laughs> two years, but even the night before, days before with the statement coming out, I remember that conversation So, had And
13: how do you know she wasn't blindsided? Because the way it was I, presented through the press is that suddenly you made this announcement,
17: she didn't know it was coming. No, I, I, when we were in Canada, I, I had uh, three conversations with my grandmother and two conversations with my father um, before he stopped taking my calls and then said, can you put this all in writing, what your plan is? Your father asked you to put it in writing? Yeah, uh, he asked me to put it in writing. I put all the specifics in there, even the fact that we were planning on putting the announcement out on the 7th of January. So you just said that your dad stopped taking your calls. Why did he stop taking your calls? Because I took matters in, by that point I took matters into my own hands. It was like, I need to do this for my family. This is not a surprise to anybody. It's really sad that it's got to this point.
2: Watch it and come back to us tomorrow and tell us what you thought of it. 1857 Before we go today, Fiona has been meeting three mothers doing their best to overcome the challenges of the last year. The
20: last year's been tough enough now, I have to say. Um, Working from home, teaching from home. Um, the things that you normally kind of that anchor you in the week, they're all gone so anything you might normally do on Monday or Tuesday or whatever, they're gone so I think people are a little bit adrift because of that, but um, managing and just taking it day by day to be honest Fiona, just
7: keeping it in the day, trying our best to you know, just kind of be positive about it. Mother of two, Leanne Burke is one of the many mothers around the country who've had to overcome a whole new set of challenges due to the pandemic Leanne is a lecturer at UCC in the Economics Department and has been working working from home for the last year to be honest things like research and
20: that has gone on the long finger and of course they're the kind of things that help you progress in work and so on so you know and a lot of women would a lot of my colleagues and that would have felt the same way that you know women are kind of disproportionately affected by in this area um, that the time we would be spending on that kind of work is now being spent with the kids or you know just additional um, I suppose teaching commitments as well so yeah
7: Jenny O'Connor is also a mother of two and is a teacher at Coloche de Cullum in and her workload has doubled. I think that if you had to do those Google Zoom classes from home and if you weren't a parent that it would be very different. Oh it
21: would be a whole different ball game. Fiona <laughs> I'd be the fittest in my life. I'd have a six pack <laughs> I'd have a twenty-two inch waist if I did not have children at home. But saying that at the same time, um I actually think it would be really lonely. <laughs> as tough as it has been, and it has been very tough, I'm not gonna lie, you know what I mean? It has been tough, but I think it would be very, very lonely if you didn't have the kids at home at the same time. So I think it's different challenges for every group of people in this pandemic, in all of these lockdowns, have had very different challenges. But but I, I strongly suspect that my students, you know, th- things would have been. My classes have been have been video bombed, have been dive bombed, have been stopped by scrapping, have been stopped by by toilet business. <laughs> um, you know, there's been all sorts where. Yeah, I I've had to hit the mute button before. I haven't even made the mute button before. There's things being roared at the screen, so it's yeah, it's been um, it's been interesting. Jenny has also had to overcome additional challenges with homeschooling. My son is on the spectrum as well, so there have been real additional challenges around that. Where yeah. he hasn't, you know, for him it's it's very differentiated. Like school is school and home is home. So trying to teach him at home has been really challenging Um, and you know I've had to kind of go around it sideways like I bought books for Irish I bought novels and I bought graphic novels and I bought comics and stuff and I leave them because he's quite an advanced reader so I've left those books out and he's kind of picked them up and read them and that's how I've done Irish with him but it just means that you know he's now doing completely different Irish to the rest of his class. Mm. You have to do what you have to do. Fiona McAuliffe is a full-time mother to two girls. I just kind of found
3: that um, they just got sick of my voice they became immune to my voice and you know being a mammy and being moon tour mammy and trying to do, trying to be everything to them including their social life like I was absolutely wrecked you know, trying to get more into do schoolwork and trying to keep my my little superhero two year old occupied at the same time. you know, you just kind of run out of inspiration and creativity after a while, you know. and she's been missing life outside the home. Adult company. What's that again? <laughs> uh, yeah, like I you know, I, I suppose, yeah, like again, this is awful now, but I'm gonna be brutally honest. um my mobile phone like every, like a lot of other people has become my way of being in touch with people
1: mm.
3: but my mobile phone has also become the way that I entertain my two year old when I'm trying to do homeschooling with my seven year old mm-hmm. and so most of the time until they go to bed I don't get to use my phone during the day so I have actually lost touch with a lot of people so yeah I'd like to take this opportunity anyone who does recognise me
7: hi I miss you I can't wait to get in touch with you again. Getting through the pandemic has been a struggle for many and these mothers have been telling me about what they've learned over the past year.
3: Massive respect to any parents out there who've actually managed to do all of this and keep down a job as well Um, I, I just think the stress
21: of trying to prove yourself in a job as well as trying to keep a house in order is just, it's just insane, like. I let myself off the hook, do you know what I mean? And I do understand that right now to be good enough is more than enough. So if the kids are being fed, if they're being loved, if they're being, if they're getting outside and they're getting exercise, are you keeping your stress levels down? It's like you're covering yourself. Do you know what
20: yeah. I mean? You're getting... You're getting the minimum done that you have to get done. And the stress levels are, you're trying to keep the stress levels down is vital for not only ourselves as women and as workers, but also for our families. So doing what you can do, keeping the stress levels down, getting out for a walk is not only good for us, but it's good for our children as well.
2: And that's it. Thank you, Fiona. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Fergal. We're back in the morning just after nine.